David, New York Magazine's Olivia Nuzzi reports that Donald Trump and Sean Hannity often talk on the phone before bedtime. (laughs) My question is, which cable news haircut would you like to hear from on a nightly basis? Um... Jeez, what is it? What is the best uh, joke to tell you? Is it is it too obvious to say? <laughs> Wait, Joy I want Re- I want a serious answer. I want, is about it too, joke? too obvious to say Joy Reid because she uh, she makes she'd make up the best bedtime stories. Um, Wolf Blitzer certainly had, would be the most like fatherly. Like he'd be, I feel like he'd be that most sort of like you know parental, a little bit stern, but you know kind of a fun loving weird uncle. I think that made, I think that made me tense at night though. <laughs> I think so we are, too. We are we are getting a breaking story. I don't want to hear that right before bed. I think Brian Stelter just kind of reading the media headlines to me before bed would be fine. Sure, sure. I mean, Maddow's great. She can make like a really compelling a compelling bedtime story out of anything. Yeah, it'd be long and very fact filled. Sure, but that's I'm into that. That's cool. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Chef Smith, maybe. I'm just gonna go with Chef Smith just I, for the just for the oddity of it. I actually think you've hit on it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the call. That's who I want to hear from. More fantasies and late-night phone calls on the Press Box, which is part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast. We are not allowed to write that a source said something if they wrote it to you in a very ornate and stilted email. All quotes should approximate human speech. We are Brian (laughs) Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer. I would like to plug on shuffle, David. The new Ringer podcast from our pal, Micah Peters. It's a great podcast. I got to listen to the pilot, which I guess is not the same one that's going to be out tomorrow or today as people are listening to this, but it's a it's a really, really cool. There I can't wait for everyone to hear it. Micah's the best. David, three topics for you today on the Press Box. First, how sports writers helped make sports gambling legal in America. Second, the media's delicate, or if you're Fox Business, not so delicate task of saying goodbye to Arizona Senator John McCain. And finally... Somebody said something bad about Katie Nolan? <laughs> what? Was it true? We discuss. Plus, as always, our overworked Twitter joke of the week. But first, David, a topic I'd like to call, and writing for the majority, Chief Justice Musburger, because somewhere the grand old man of college football is smiling. On Monday, the Supreme Court struck down a law that bans sports gambling, meaning states other than Nevada may now legalize and tax what the New York Times calls a $150 billion illegal sports gambling industry. I'll ask you your first thought. I kind of already got it this morning when you sent me an email saying, Brian, how about how the sports media <laughs> normalized gambling? Which I can I, read your mind. Which I greedily stole for a blog post this morning. But what would you make of the story? Um, yeah. It was pretty. I mean, the, the the fact that sports, you know, the, the Supreme Court's released their verdict today, sort of surprisingly, was a. I mean, the first my our first reaction is a process related business reaction, just like oh crap, <laughs> we have to do work about yeah. this new thing. All right, but but after that, um, it's pretty stunning. It's pretty stunning. That it's funny that that I loved in your piece, um, how there are all the trepidations around it, and it's. I mean, obviously, it's very similar to any sort of like nanny state laws, you know, to drugs, alcohol, to anything else. And that like, it's really easy to boogeyman, right? Yes. Once this law has been in place for so long, it's very simple to think of 5 million reasons why it should be kept in place. 
Yes, sure. Right? Sure. We got to protect the, the addicted gamblers. We got to, you know, like we don't want our kid. We got to look, well, what about the children? You know, all this kind of stuff. It makes it makes perfect sense. Um, this is like so milk toast, but like this is what's great about the Constitution, man. <laughs> what's great about our legal system that like, it, and sometimes it just takes some of this broad based, you know, like theoretical argument to really just tear it down. Now, the much more interesting part that we're, you know, that I think we're talking about is the, the, uh, the way that sports media really played a huge role in this. Yeah. And I think that the biggest thing to make, I mean, we saw, you know, we have examples of this when, um, you know, gay marriage went to the Supreme Court and it was just right on the heels of, you know, basically a decade of, of deliberate, I mean, of like active normalization mm-hmm. by, you know, the vaguely defined left in the country. Right. And I, and for the, it was obviously for the better, but, you know, it was kind of important in the process for Obama to pretend that he wasn't pro-gay marriage. You know, you kind of like you kind of just sort of introduce the idea and let it sink in after a while. And that's really the role that the media played in this whole process. Right. Yeah. What's, what's funny, though, is like unlike some other great political issues of our day, I don't remember anybody saying I've changed my mind on sports gambling. Uh-huh. It was kind of everybody says, oh, yeah, I gambled. Don't you? Yes. That was just kind of, it's, it's sort of just like it came out into the world all of a sudden. Uh huh. And you mentioned drugs, but it's a little bit like the pot thing, yeah. you know, where there's this like winky joke, like, oh, I might have smoked something this weekend. Uh-huh. Everybody, you know, that was kind of the tone, right? Right. For like the last decade. I might have made a big sports bet this weekend. Uh-huh. Might have done some sports gambling this weekend. <laughs> um, and then, but you're right. It sort of did normalize it. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody suddenly was like, wait, you can't, that's right. You can't gamble on sports. Oh, wait, why isn't that legal? Yeah. All of a sudden, but I don't like the the funny difference is I don't know, but nobody really made the case, at least in the sports pages, all that much. I mean, he, you had <laughs> I shouldn't say that, actually, because you had Adam Silver, mm-hmm. right? Come out as a big thing. Mm-hmm. We talked about, it in the, you know, in terms of a team moving to an NFL team moving to Vegas sure. and an NHL team moving to Vegas. But it wasn't I don't I don't remember a lot of angst among the sports media class about this. I think it's pretty close to, you know, 90, 100 percent. This is a great idea. Or why don't we do this? In the modern world. Because yeah. you touched on some historical examples in the piece that you wrote about how it was, you know, not it was it was frowned upon in many sports papers. It was frowned upon, and I think the people that ran the newspapers and TV stations said, just don't ever talk about this. Yeah. Right? This is this this bad stuff. Yeah, you just don't want to get into it. Yeah. I mean, it's like there was a Greg Westbrook Pegler thought that craps was actually America's national pastime, not baseball. Yes. <laughs> right. Which was true. Right. Yeah. But these guys, there, were a whole, there was this whole kind of winking class of TV people and then writers like our boss who came along and said, by the way, everybody's actually gambling. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is, I mean, the, the craps being the national pastime thing is, is salient just in the fact that it's like you need – uh, there are a lot of people who can, you know, through the years have made booze in their, you know, from like prune prune juice in their basement or whatever. But like, it's not the easiest thing to do just between you and your friends, right? Mm-hmm. Pro- if prohibition is is working at a hundred percent clip, you're probably not going to be drinking a lot. But you can still play cards for money with your friends. Sure, you know, like it never completely goes away. And in some ways, it's like the NCAA tournament pools that never disappeared that sort of kept, you know, I mean that it, it, that kept gambling going in the country for, I mean, forever. Right. Fancy. And of course the fact that you could, the fact that it was never a complete prohibition, you could always go to the racetrack, you go to the OTB, you could go to Vegas, you could go, I mean, not for sports, but to Atlantic city. I mean, there are places to bet to, you know, there's, there's, um, yeah. And then later for sports gambling, yeah. daily fantasy. Exactly. And then, 
Yeah, and it just seems so. It, it was just so un unshocking, like you said, to hear anybody talk about it at all. Now, before there was the stigma. I think the bigger, much more of a stigma than like the sin of gambling. The bigger stigma was like that you had to involve yourself with a bookie. Yeah. Right. That like if someone talked about it, that meant they had an unsavory character in their life. Yes. And then, but and I think for it, those of us who do, don't do things like that, you know, all the time, we're like, wait, where did you meet the bookie? Exactly. How do you know? How do you know the bookie? I think with the advent of the internet, it just tore down all the walls, and it also, I mean, it also comes at a time when media in general is is just much more kind of laissez-faire about all that, about just any sort of indiscretion. So totally true. Yeah. And I think that's the newspaper kind of going away mm -hmm. and withering away and also the TV networks, right? Which for yeah. so many years, like that's, that's why Al Michaels and Brent Musburger were going wink, wink on the air. Of course. Because there were guys who ran that network. like, please don't talk about gambling. Please, if you're making predictions uh, in the pregame show, don't use the line. Yeah. I think that the interesting line through the piece that you wrote, no pun intended, that that sort of grabbed me was to go in reverse chron reverse chronological order. It was when Scott Van Pelt was like, Yeah, I just decided to start talking about gambling and mm -hmm. nobody cared. So how did we so if we're at a point with SVP, was that when he started his own when he when he got the, the Midnight Sports the Midnight Center. Sports Center? Okay. So that's not that that's that's recent. But like if that's where we ended up, at what point do you think Al Michaels could have gone to his bosses and been like, I'm going to talk about gambling on, sun, on, on NFL games? Or just said it on the air and no, there was no blowback? Yeah. It's a little different because it's like a it's a commercial partnership with the NFL. It is true. But you know what? Somebody pointed out on Twitter today, and I, I wish I'd, I remember to mention this, but on college game day now, which is, you know, ESPN is mm -hmm. in league with all the with the, all or most of the uh, college football conferences. There's a guy who picks against the line. Yeah, <laughs> no. right. And this is college. Yeah, this is the allegedly quote unquote amateur kids, mm -hmm. highly corruptible amateurs. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's doesn't seem to be a big deal. So I think it's one of the things like he would just probably need to just say it and see what happens. Yeah. And probably no one would care. Um, I, I don't I think in the last couple of years, if he'd said that. Like instead of just, you know, doing the kind of slide thing said, you know, you know what? The Patriots are favored by seven and now they're going to win by three. And a lot of people are really pissed off. I don't think anybody would have cared. Yeah. I think that there's another interesting media angle in this. Uh, the we touch on this, you know, in different ways a lot of times before. But, um, you know, the sort of overall vibe, sports and, 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 you know, news and everything else that people just sort of don't trust their they're, what's on TV the like, way they would have 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't they don't trust the talking heads as the arbiters of truth. And I think that there's a general, and I, this isn't, I don't mean this is like a real, you know, dogmatic argument, but like there's a general feeling that when you turn on ESPN, you're, you are seeing entertainers. You know, you're seeing people who are like trying to rile you up, people who are trying to, they're just trying to get to the, what's going to get the, the highest ratings. They don't really care about the news or whatever. And I think that there really is a feeling, and maybe this is just crazy, but I think that there, there's probably a general feeling that, um, you know, people making sports picks are actually have more invested in reality than everybody else around them. Totally, because they because they've got some mistake. Yeah, they've got they've got money at stake. They want to win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not, they're not they're not telling you the the giving you the general manager's line. Exactly. They're cutting through the bullshit. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I think that's really good. I'm going to rewrite my piece for the late edition <laughs> of, of The Ringer. The late edition. And we need I, that. Let me add another point, by the way. Right. This is kind of, kind of just surfing off what we said. How sports writing kind of became a men's lifestyle brand. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's less now explicitly about here's all the stuff that happened on the field. Here's what the players are like. And more like here's what it means to be a guy or a gal mm -hmm. in 2018. Right? 
you gamble, you play daily fantasy, you watch movies. Obviously, Bill is a big person in the story sure. of sort of chain of sort of bending the trajectory of sports writing. Yeah. But you know, when when you say it's a lifestyle thing, like all of sports radio, by the way, is too, uh-huh. it's about gambling. Yeah. And gambling is more easily admitted, I think, into the, you know, okay to talk about subjects than it would have been 10, 15 years ago. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, I think that I mean, one of the aside, you know, uh, morals aside, one of the biggest barriers, <laughs> which is which is really the the motto of this show. Yeah. Morals aside, one of the biggest barriers towards the acceptance of gambling is just like the like the arithmetic of it, just the general understanding of how this stuff works. You see some numbers up on a tote board, and you're like, I don't know what. There's a minus. What the, What does that mean? That's another way that that sports media and people like Bill in particular have really normalized it. Right? They teach you how to read. They teach you how to. Un- they teach you how to have the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, there's no there's the barrier for entry is gone. If you've ever been, you know, like I remember the first time I went to an off track betting spot in New York and it just it feels like you're walking into just some foreign country. You know, there's just totally. like all this stuff like and and it's I'm not, the same way. I learned every, I learned everything I know from like the Bill and Sal's podcast. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's what that means. Yeah. Or just really kind of reverse engineering it when it was in print back in the day and everything. I mean, that's it. it's really it, it really made everything very, very attainable. I wonder if this is going to affect. Uh, the, going back to what you're talking about, the corporate partnership aspect, I wonder if this is going to affect the way, I mean, the way that that networks, the, the major network partners of the NFL. And I keep saying the we keep talking about the NFL because they are the more the most um, kind of I mean, they're America's sport at this point. Right. And they don't have an Adam Silver coming out in, in favor or anything. Right. I would think that like a really interesting question is when does the NFL say it's OK for NBC, CBS at all to start running gambling commercials during the product, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was in, I mentioned this piece, I was in Australia earlier this year. Oh yeah. Sports gambling was and is legalized, right? And it's just part of the fabric of sports and media there. And in fact, they're like announcers can do an ad for a book, right? Yeah. So just imagine Joe Buck, you know, oh, when I make a bet, I like to go with so-and-so, right? Uh-huh. And I want to throw $30 on the Raiders. But I still think that's a line in the sand that's probably pretty deep, right? Mm-hmm. And we probably still I – don't, I don't think that's going to happen right away, you know, because that just – I mean, I feel like, you know, but but again, it's like there's an argument. It's like, well, if you're, you know, you're advertising Bud Light, yeah, you know, which, which is sure. not good for you. Um, why is, you know, sports gaming verboten, you know, like I don't, on, on, on a television. Yeah. I think there's a couple of different tiers of what you were just talking about, right? It's like accepting a commercial and mm-hmm. even like, and some of these could be like, could you accept them on the local broadcast as opposed to just the national broadcast? Is there a distinction there? Then there's the idea of like, yeah, of, of spokespeople doing something. Can Odell Beckham Jr. go say like FanDuel is my betting place <laughs> of choice. Everybody go there during a Giants game. Uh-huh. And then third would be the, if the formal sponsorship. This is the Brian and David's bets dot com, you know, Sunday night football or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, have I you think, already have you already bought that domain name? Should we buy that before? <laughs> yeah, that, it's been flooded with traffic. Uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a different it's it's there's a lot of different levels of it. I think that they'll probably stick a toe in. I think and I think especially in it. The NBA will be first. The NBA will be first. Probably among the major leagues anyway. Because Adam Silver's in. Adam NBA, Silver's in. He's ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, they, but I think the NBA still also has some like structural questions too about like when do the like are we are they going to allow sports books to be the advertisers on jerseys next season? Yeah, good question. I mean, there's there's big questions, right? And the the, the jersey thing is it is a you know a, obviously a very like big statement, a uh, fashion statement. But 
I think that it's I think that the NFL is in an interesting spot because of all the news that we've been hearing over the past two years about declines in viewership and everything else that like when somebody rolls in and they're like, here's a billion dollars. That's what I mean. Who's going to say who says no? I mean, it's like owners are going to say no, no, no way. So the owners say no television networks. They can get money. Uh Right. I mean, it's like it's one of those things where it's like eh. the interesting. The really I mean, one of the really interesting things is that is how difficult it's been for Vegas to get sports teams. By the way, Golden Knights are. You know, defying all logic, but that's a separate conversation. But the but the, it's been so hard for Vegas to get a sports team because of sports gambling. Oh, I know. For and years. now, and now this, and now if sports gambling is. Le- I mean, we should stipulate that it's you know the Supreme Court struck it down. There are going to be appeals, and not every state is going to legalize this. Presumably, exactly. So it's going to be there, there's probably six states that are just kind of chomping at the bit right now, and they'll get in there. But it's gonna it's it's funny now because Las Vegas is either going to be totally. Uh, now clear to get sports teams, but it's unclear now that anybody would actually want to start to have a sports team there. Right, because what's the... What's the allure? What's the juice, right? By the way, when I think of um, scary uh, bookies, scary sports bookies, Mm -hmm. do you think of that guy in California Split? Remember (laughs) who was going to break George Siegel's legs? (laughs) Absolutely. I looked him up. His name was... The character's name was Sparky, and it was Joseph Walsh who wrote the screenplay. Uh, standing in. Kind of amazing, right? All right, David, now it's time for our overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. About that Supreme Court decision, David, you made an overworked Twitter joke if you facetiously tweeted, I uh, can't wait to gamble on sports for the first time. (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) Speaking of winky wink. That's great. That's actually from The Ringer's Kevin Clark. It's beautiful. Who I promised him, I would note, was early on this one. But (laughs) everybody has now made that joke. Thanks to John Greenberg of The Athletic for mentioning that. David, there is important news about the restaurant Chili's. Whoa, okay. Yeah, this from CBS. Chili's Grill and Bar, a.k.a. the greatest restaurant on planet Earth. I I inserted that part. Has informed customers of a data incident saying some payment information was compromised at certain locations between March and April. Can you see where this is going? <laughs> I want my data back, data back, data back. I want my data back. There is everyone who tweeted that is a hero. All right. I don't care how many people tweeted that. That's the best thing I've ever heard. Also heroic Washington Post headline writer Hamza Shaban, who has already used that as a headline. Thanks to Paul Boston for that one. That is fabulous stuff. That's uh, so good. How, what is the, why is Chili's hanging on to your data? I have no idea. I just, this is where I just run. I don't, <laughs> right, I don't, I don't understand identity the joke theft. And move on. We're going to have to do an identity theft segment since you and I actually understand what's going on. Finally, David, not an overworked Twitter joke, but I think we should take a moment to appreciate this. Did you see this after Sunday's blowout loss to Boston? LeBron mm. James was asked by a reporter what happened early in the fourth quarter. And this was his answer. We ran him the first possession. We ran him down all the way to two on the shot clock. Marcus Morris missed a jump shot, followed it up. He got it. They got a dunk. Uh, we came back down. We ran a set for Jordan Crawford. I mean, Jordan Clarkson. And he came off and missed it. They rebounded. it, um, And we came back on the defensive end and we got a stop. They took it out on the sideline. Jason Tatum took the ball out, threw it to Marcus Smart in the short corner. He made a three. We come back down, missed another shot. And then um, Tatum came down and went 94 feet, did a roll step, made a right-hand layup timeout. (laughs) There you go. So he just takes it and does like a Wikipedia (laughs) entry of the whole fourth quarter. Yeah. Which makes me believe that like when 
when basketball players and athletes give the really bland answer, look what they're hiding. Mm-hmm. Like he knows everything. If you would ask me what happened in the previous segment of this podcast, I would give you about five seconds of broad broad strokes. I have no idea. No idea what happened this morning. Yeah. Nothing. I know I had like three cups of coffee. <laughs> I don't remember anything else. All right, David, before we talk about John McCain, let's take a brief commercial break. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about the revamped Ringer NBA show podcast. We are Monday through Friday on Mondays. John Gonzalez hosts Heat Check. Bounce around, talk to a bunch of different Ringer staffers about the weekend that was and what's coming up on Tuesdays. Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor, America's favorite couple. On Wednesdays, Sources Say with Chris Ryan and Julia Littman, and maybe some interview podcasts as well. And then Thursdays, Group Chat, Chris Ryan, a rotating cast of Ringer staffers. We even put this on YouTube too. And then Friday, Draft Class, Kevin O'Connor, Jonathan Sharks, sometimes Danny Chow, talking about the 2018 NBA Draft. Mock stuff, who's rising, who's falling, who's going to do what. You get this every day, all the way through the playoffs, the draft, and even free agency, five days a week. The Ringer NBA Show, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our second topic, David, I'd like to call John McCain's Long Goodbye, speaking of Robert Altman. David, a few weeks ago, when you first suggested a segment about covering John McCain and his battle with brain cancer... I thought we'd talk about the trickiness of hagiography. How does the media cover a towering figure in American politics without completely losing its mind? But, and I know this is going to surprise you, this segment will now begin but with something awful that was said inside the Trump White House <laughs> and that leaked to the media. Said leak was Kelly Sadler, a Trump communications aide, uh, when they were talking about the nomination for CIA uh, director Gina Haspel, said... Of John McCain, his vote doesn't matter because he's, quote, dying anyway. <laughs> Whew. And then over on Fox Business, we had this. Retired Air Force General Thomas uh, McInerney uh, talking about John McCain and how torture works on Fox Business Channel. The fact is, is John McCain, it worked on John. That's why they call him Songbird John. That was retired Air Force Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney who was then subsequently banned from all Fox television shows. Charles Payne, who was the anchor, uh, later called those remarks false and derogatory and said he only didn't uh, push back because he didn't hear them. A producer was talking in his ear. I don't know if there's really a question about this so much, but <laughs> I, I guess I'll say this. Old problem, hagiography of complicated public figures. Sure. New problem. Trump and company just say what's on their minds, dispensing with the idea of politeness and formality mm-hmm. altogether. Yeah. And we get that. Where does that leave us? Thank you. In two, our media two things. World? There's also, I mean, there's a second new thing. I mean, it's not a new, new thing, but the sort of 24 hour drive of the news cycle means that it's the, it's the, there's this hagiography. It's basically the pre mortem obituary, right? That we have all these long feature stories. About John McCain and his all his accomplishments that are coming upon the event of his death, but before he's dead. Yep. Um, his presumed death. Yes. No, no jokes we should, we and apologies to anyone that 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 reads it as such. But the Trump the Trump White House thing is is interesting and separate. I think that 
one the the big I mean there's there's a real the real news hook or the real angle that revol- that involves the media is that the entire media is perpetually aghast that the Trump White House doesn't know how to deal with the media in, in the way that they deem as appropriate. The news story now about this is not that this person should have come out and apologized. Certainly that would have stemmed off this whole thing. But it's that they continue to do other things besides apologize, that they do anything else besides, you know, formally apologizing uh, about this one event. And it'd be, it would be someone else apologizing for her, I guess. I don't really know exactly what the what the appropriate turn of events would be. Yeah, that's just not in their vocabulary. It's Polite, not. Politeness in that. Just just like let's call it Washington formality. Yeah, that that's what it is. I make mistake. I say I'm sorry. No one believes me, but I've accomplished the, my 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 debt. Right, but news media has something to put in the first paragraph of the story about the apology, yeah. and then they move on because you they wa- just don't do that. Well, but watching, I mean, but watching all this endless coverage of it, it's hard to imagine that there's not a way to thread the needle too, right? Like Trump on the campaign trail would have dispensed with this. I'm not apologizing to you, or I already apologized, and we just leave it at that. Yeah, and fake. I did. I apologize. Even but it's I did. the but it's the it's the 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 oil and water nature of. The tr- of Trump and and what what sort of establishment he has built around himself and the media that make it impossible to find that middle ground. Yeah. Right. I, I, it's not even so much. I mean, the media is is unnecessarily perplexed by this whole thing. Yeah. And, I, and look, and I think some part of it is that's what people in the Trump White House believe. Right. Yeah. Trump was ruthless to McCain all through the campaign. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. This is a guy I don't want people to get captured, okay? He's not a, a war He's hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. Five and a half years. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Do you He's agree with that? And one of his aides saying this does not, well, it sounds like what Donald Trump thinks about John McCain. He messed up the Obamacare vote, McCain, and from Trump's point of view. Yeah. Um, and now he's not inviting him to his funeral. Not inviting him to his funeral. Uh, the, the Haskell thing is obviously the kind of going concern. And in the in the political sphere right now, there's a lot of reasons for him to not feel necessary to to kiss up to McCain. And I mean, that would be his perception. Right. Yeah. There's but, always, there's also, by the way, all we've been enjoying leaks. And, you know, I've talked about this uh, quite a bit over the last year and a half. Yeah. From the Trump White House, which is just amazing. I mean, it's amazing that people just keep talking and talking. And Jonathan Swan and Axios did a story about yeah. this. Did you see this? Quoted one of the leakers. He went to the leakers and said, "Why do you leak?" Mm-hmm. Like it was, there was several leakers that right. were quoted. Right. Yeah. Great, great conceit for a story. But one of the leakers said, "To cover my tracks, I usually pay attention <laughs> to other staffers' idioms and use that in my background quotes. That throws the scent off me." Also, a great I mean, way. This to, is unbelievable. That's also a great way to throw the scent off you if you actually didn't. If you actually use too many of your own idioms. Yes, the first I, time. <laughs> I thought about that. Yeah. I thought about that. I'd be like, "Whoops! I gave myself away last week." So now I'm I'm going to throw Trump's attention to somebody else who would be impersonating Brian's like ticks. <laughs> you like put all of your emails through like an English Spanish language converter and then back again or something. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable, right? But yeah, oh, but so I think I, and look, I think in the cold, heartless calculation of Washington, we are not going to have to worry about John McCain being a thorn in our side. Is exactly what the White House thinks. Mm-hmm. I just I just it's one of those things where. You know, we talk about like the, the old definition of a Michael Kinsley gaffe is when a politician tells the truth. Oh, right? yeah. This is a politician. This is a case where they are telling the truth. Right. It's it's not what nobody wants to hear. It's not delicate. But this is what the White House actually thinks on the on the subject of celebrating McCain's life mm-hmm. for these months. Right. A couple of things. He has a new book out called The Restless Wave, uh, which he has said is his last book. Also an HBO documentary 
which is called John McCain for whom the bell tolls. Wow. By the way, some really, really <laughs> portentous titles to both of those things. There was a good uh, Jonathan Martin piece in the New York Times last week or two weeks ago uh, where he talked about how McCain continuing his mavericky persona told tells Joe Biden not to walk away from politics. Mm-hmm. Despite Biden obviously being a Democrat, he said he was regretful that he picked uh, Sarah Palin and wishes he'd picked Joe Lieberman in 2008 as his vice presidential nominee, as you mentioned, uh, does not want or his team doesn't want Trump at the funeral. They want Mike Pence at the funeral. So it's funny because I think now this is like it's half celebration. But for good reporters, it's really grappling with what McCain's legacy is mm-hmm. and especially his media legacy. Yeah, Because this is a guy, right, who was the media darling of Washington for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gave so many interviews. He gave great copy. I seem to remember, and I bet to check this last night, I forgot, Michael Lewis's trail fever that like the last scene is Michael Lewis sitting on a park bench talking to John McCain. <laughs> right. Like that, like that, that's how available he was. And he was arguably, you know, one of the most famous people in the Senate at the time. Sure. And, and don't you think some of this like also goes to the old Washington, the very long held Washington idea of they just don't make senators like they used to? Oh, absolutely. Right. You know, at one time we had Bob Dole and we had George Mitchell and we had Sam Nunn and we had these giants walking the earth. And when John McCain leaves, we have Lindsey Graham. Right. <laughs> we have Bill Nelson if he gets reelected. You know, we have you know, there's this whole kind of Washington idea that. You know, we can talk about what that's based on, but there was the, there are these guys that were so big and it was so amazing to cover them. And now look what we're left with. Sure. And there's a lot. I mean, without demeaning his legacy at all, I mean, he was a fine man and a, and a, and a fine senator. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of McCain where that sort of previous generation entered modernity in a slightly awkward way that you could see the myth making happening in real life. And it sort of was like a little bit like of a peek behind the curtain. This is like early 2000s. Yeah. And I think just the sort of, I think it's just, it's, it, this is, reflects more on me as a consumer, as a media consumer than it does on McCain or any of the artifice that surrounded him or whatever. But you're just sort of more aware of these things, right? That you're, that you, um, I mean, part of the 24 hour news cycle is seeing, you know, your anchors react in very, you know, human ways to things in real time. Uh, but also just the, the, it did sort of feel like, you know, he's not that different a character than like Rudy Giuliani, although he has a much longer, important, significant life and a broader body of work. But in the, in the way that, you know, you, un, you you can kind of see why the hagiography is happening throughout his life. You see why people are attracted to him totally. in different ways. And let us count the ways, right? Subvert your own party. Yeah. You, the press loves people when you subvert your own party, mm-hmm. which he did a lot. Yeah. You know, to, we can debate the degree and certainly people do, but he certainly did it a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. Flirt with becoming a member of the other party, as I seem to remember him oh, doing yeah. in the early 2000s. Run for president. Mm-hmm. Always a president. Be involved in a giant scandal like the Keating Five. Uh-huh. Give interviews all the time. Yeah. That's and, a, yeah. And say fascinating things in the interviews that often subvert the party. Sure. The other one was like this. Well, though, I mean, his time in Vietnam, I think, I don't yes, even know if you mentioned you that on the list, but I think that that in some ways that gives backbone to I mean, to everything else that follows, right? Totally. Um, and also, he, he, did, he did many, many important things and impressive things and, la- and, and you know, laudable things in his life. 
no matter what thing you want to admire him for, you can always back, you can always reinforce it with, with his, his, you know, patriotism. Totally. And I think imbues that whole generation of politicians with mm-hmm. a certain grandeur, right? Sure. George H.W. Bush, Bob Dole, mm-hmm. John McCain, right? These are all war heroes. Yeah. You know, that's different from a lot of the people who come along now. Yeah. Right. We don't, it's, it's the whole, it's a, it's, you know, John McCain's not part of this, but it's the whole sort of greatest generation kind of thing. The, um, the other thing I'd add about him is just he had he had and has such a sense of drama with the media. Mm-hmm. You know, when he does this thing with the skinny, uh, remember when he gives the thumbs down, the climactic thumbs down vote to the skinny healthcare repeal bill. Absolutely. He had this quote where he said, you know, people are asking him that day, how are you going to vote? And he said, watch the show. Like that was his quote. Yeah. Uh, other places it was rendered, wait for the show. But the whole thing is like, I'm going to do something dramatic on television. Yep. And apparently Chuck Schumer knew before the whole thing on the floor where he walks up and dramatically gives a thumbs down and is talking to uh, Mitch McConnell and everybody before that, that he's going to – it's all known. But he is creating this moment of drama. It's sort of like <laughs> here is one last great John McCain set piece for all of you DC journos to just write about. And it was happening like in the middle of the night on C-SPAN and everything. It was it was unbelievable. And John – he knows theatricality. And like John, he, he just to me that's his so groove, great. right? And Jonathan Martin's Times piece that you mentioned at length earlier. For my favorite part of the whole thing is right above a photo of him, circa two thousand, in like a in like jeans and a flannel or a, a sweatshirt with a flannel over the sweatshirt, which is fantastic. Um, and an Arizona ball cap. He's out there by his grill on his porch. Yes, yes. The line, the 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 paragraph right above that says, "Mr. McCain, who is not doing interviews." By the way, it's great that it's necessary to point that out and also said with such definitiveness, right? It's not it's not who could not be reached. It's right. like who is formally not doing interviews. Mr. McCann, who is not doing interviews, delights in sitting out on his deck where he once handed, handled slabs of ribs on the grill, friends say. I love that he's not doing interviews, but it goes right into a like deeply sourced retelling of what he's doing right now. There, there are people giving proxy interviews for him. Well, that's, totally. the, that's the purpose of the piece, obviously. There's no this isn't inside baseball, but I but it's just the, the degree to which the narrative is tied in with the way the story is told is just fantastic. <laughs> oh, totally. And it's funny because like the Martin is, is an excellent reporter, but also like the people that, that were in the kind of McCain club mm-hmm. were like Lindsey Graham and Joe yeah. Lieberman, who are like the blabbiest senators. <laughs> you know, they were they and I and I think I think I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect that McCain probably created this idea where you give interviews and you talk to people uh-huh. and you, you know. Are yeah. kind of this publicly available statesman. The Straight Talk Express was a thing. The Straight Talk Express, <laughs> but you know when it's like when they do the when they do the obits, gonna have to grapple with with plenty of stuff. But here here's one: he endorsed Donald Trump for president. Yeah, he's been sticking forks in Donald Trump uh, since the election. But he, you know, like the most basic way that you can tell people not to vote for a certain candidate is probably not to endorse him. Mm-hmm. Guess what? John McCain John McCain really likes being a senator. Yeah. He was up for re-election. Yeah. Splitting from Trump would have been really dangerous, right? Yeah. He wanted to get re-elected to the Senate. Yep. And, you know, I think he bailed after the Access Hollywood tape, which was very, very late in the process, like, what, a couple of weeks before the election. Mm-hmm. But he endorsed Donald Trump. And, you know, that's that's one of those things that will be in a very – his obit is is – for, you know, for an for an honest person, one of the toughest to write, you know, because mm-hmm. there is a lot, you know, the whole I, I think sometimes now he's almost devalued because like liberal by liberal Twitter. But he, yeah, it's going to be really long and full of contradictions, switchbacks, 
all kinds of stuff. This is what I like about the sort of pre-Obit thing. Well, I mean, one thing that everybody knows, I mean, I think for the most part, is that John McCain's obituary was 99% written by the New York Times eight years ago, 10 years ago? More than that. 15 years ago? Yeah. And they just steadily update these things as they go, right? I mean, there's a whole department dedicated to this. So, you know, putting together these thoughts in advance of someone's death is is the farthest thing from radical in the news industry. But, um, you know, having him sit there on the porch and sort of receive people and, and, and have this, have the you know, this conversation begin in such a programmatic way this early is 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 pretty pretty interesting. But I you can kind of imagine what the obituary is gonna say. It is a hard one to write. It'll be hard to write on deadline. But you know it's gonna be, it's going to say what you just said. For a senator that fancied himself a champion of straight talk, there were some moments of fill in the blank. You know, it was, but, it's but it's see, kind to of, me that's the that's the that's like the penultimate paragraph or the that's like the third out of Four sure, sections. Sure. Well, yeah. Because like the one thing that's interesting about him is like you're both interested in reading conservatives writing as obit and liberals. Mm-hmm. Because for both he was a uniquely, you know, charismatic, a uniquely uniquely inspiring and uniquely frustrating character, mm-hmm. right? Like Bill Chris Crystal's Weekly Standard endorsed him for president over Bush in 2000. Yeah. You know, for Democrats, it was always like, oh, McCain, could he switch parties? Is John Kerry going to pick McCain as his running mate? Yeah. Right? That was a thing uh, in 2004. Uh-huh. And yet. And yet, and yet, you know, disappointments like Mitch McConnell's, you know, liberal obits are not going to be interesting. It's going to be like Mitch McConnell sucks. Like that's going to be the end. Right. That's yeah. there's, no, there's nothing there. But McCain's will have will be will have some life to them and they'll be really, really, really. It is. I mean, and I think that a lot of people like myself included will probably learn a lot more about his politics. And we knew <laughs> that we, we win it because in a, in a lot of ways is being a firebrand was a was a proxy. It was a stand-in for actual political conviction in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Well, oh, yeah. Why would you want him to jump to the Democratic? The, the conversation about him becoming a Democrat had nothing to do with policy. It was it was like a wrestling like turn a heat like face turn to the liberal side. It was literally uh, that was that was the grounds it was considered on, and the fact that he was just like people thought, oh well, he split from the Republican Party on immigration. Yeah. Why won't he do this? Right. You know. Why, sure. why, why not this too on healthcare? Well, you know. Why not this? Yeah. Fascinating. All right, David. For our final segment. Let's try out the title, Who Wants to Be an ESPN Millionaire? (laughs) Can I take you behind the sports media critic curtain for just a second? Let's do it. As I've talked to people in the TV biz over the last few months, I've heard this almost constant refrain, who's going to be brave enough to write something negative about Katie Nolan? Why does the media give her a pass? I I hear this literally all the freaking time. Well, Andrew Marsh out of the New York Post finally wrote that thing last Tuesday in a piece called Why is ESPN Paying Katie Nolan Seven Figures? Marchand points out that her assignments so far at ESPN include Snapchat Sports Center, guest hosting various shows. He writes, Nolan's best skill may be, quote, developing projects. Ooh, so snap. from the look on your face, <laughs> I'm guessing you don't totally buy this take. What is the valid Katie Nolan, state of Katie Nolan take at this point I in mean, time? I mean, we talked about, I feel like we talked about Katie Nolan maybe in a combined segment with the pardon my take guys when the ESPN was bring was putting them that on the air and yeah. they had signed Katie around the same time. That sounds right. To the extent I remember I should, anything. I should stipulate here. I don't have we, the LeBron like memory, but to yeah, the extent I remember anything, that sounds right. I, I, uh, I should stipulate here that I've never met Katie Nolan. I don't know Katie Nolan. I've never emailed Katie Nolan, but because you, it, and, I, you and I, I think are two of the few people, right? But because we're in the sort of same, like industry as her, I feel like we just refer to her as Katie all the time. So if I say the word Katie, I would have it make it sound too familiar. I apologize. Okay, um, duly noted. 
but yeah, I mean, it's, I think that in a lot of ways, what we discussed before still stands that when you, when you, when you make a sort of like totemic hire, right. When you hire somebody because of what they represent or like the prospects of what they could possibly bring to your company, when you hire somebody without any sort of plan in place and then fail to like really actively loudly put it like insist that a plan be put into place. I don't know how you expect much of anything different, you know, are you really going, are you, should we really expect that the monolith that is ESPN are, are we, are we mad that they're not adapting on the fly? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I, it all feels like, like John Skipper just signed this contract and then like everybody else is sort of shrugging their shoulders and, and hoping that, that, you know, the problem doesn't get dropped into their lap or their portfolio. Yeah, that's a good point, and that's a very different point than this piece is making. Right. Which is, when are ESPN, uh, the people who run ESPN, going to figure out what to do, how the yes. best okay. use her? Good right? question. Which, also, one of these sources may have told me, and I wrote down this quote, in the entire history of ESPN, when has, quote, let's figure it out ever worked? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is true. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's funny because, one way to think about her, and this ties in the contract a little bit, is she's one of the last people who was kind of in the Fox FS1 ESPN bidding war. Yeah. It happens at later on, and she doesn't, and it gets to ESPN last October, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. But there was this moment, right, where everybody was getting huge deals. Mm -hmm. Skip, Colin, here's some, some more first names for you. Everybody was getting a big deal. And people at ESPN were getting huge deals, so they would not entertain an FS1 offer. Yeah. And she became this thing of, oh, my gosh, you know, we got to get her because she could be a huge asset to Fox. You know, yes. is she going to do a daily show at Fox? Um, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I think, like, to me, isn't isn't her, to the extent I understand it, isn't her job at ESPN help us figure out streaming? Help us figure out you're not you're not here to here to help us figure out linear television. You're here to help us figure out the next thing. Here's my problem with that. Why would they not just announce that? Why would they not just say we're giving her a million dollars a year to be the anchor of our over-the-top network? Anchor, figuratively speaking. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I guess they didn't. They didn't really have it. They, the the OTT was not in existence when she got there. No, I know. In, but if, in, in, or in, why not announce it since then? Once that's been decided, sure. because it's because right now the the overwhelming perception is that they have nowhere else to put her, so they're putting her there, right? I guess. I mean, I, I don't. I've never thought of it like she's going to be hosting a television show. I mean, I don't. I've never thought that she, to, again, to the extent I understand that she actually wanted to do that. Sure. So it makes when they said, "Oh, she's going to be hosting something on ESPN Plus," I was like, "That makes so sense." The, so the question that you were getting at, and, and that the piece gets at, is basically like, "How is this? How, where, where, what is the million dollars getting you?" Yes. Well, and I also think there's this angst among people who work at that network or think about that and they think that everything, if you're going to be making a lot of money, it has to be in traditional television terms, right? You mm -hmm. have to prove your value in traditional television terms. Sure. Whereas her value seems to lie as much in the stuff she's already doing, podcasting, being on ESPN Plus, yeah. figuring out the digital space, which they need to figure out yes. right now. Um, so to me, you know, that's the other thing, by the way, is the salary thing. And we did that. Didn't we just do this with Greeny? Yeah. Like there's this weird thing is when you reveal someone's salary, all of a sudden everybody goes, they're not worth that. Right. Everyone in sports media says that at the same time. Mm -hmm. That would work for everybody, by the way. We just go to any 
we we were in the ringer salary list tomorrow. Oh, Nobody God. would think, yeah, you and I are not are not making much money, but no one would no one would believe that we're worth it. Yeah, that is just like the universal response in media. Oh, they're not worth it. Yeah, I do that job for for I do a better job for half the money. Sure. Okay. Well, great. You know, that's not really how these things work. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, in <laughs> some God. sense, it's like. I mean, there's the, the, the corollary that I think people listening, you know, people that watch ESPN might understand is it's the, it's the value of a sports team. It's like it doesn't really matter what the Clippers sold for. If the, you know, Atlanta Hawks are for sale or if any team's for sale, it's it, it what matters is there's 30 of them in existence and it's, it's worth exactly what the owner wants to get for it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's a bidding war. I mean, and there's and she's going to get what she's going to get. Let's toss that out the window. Okay. But I, but it is, a, but there, I mean, the bigger question is, what do you do? You said you don't think she's going to host a show. My, I said, thing I said to you a couple of weeks ago. This question of what do you do with Katie Nolan, like you said, has been bubbling for so long, right? I'm not sure why it wasn't a, a directive from the top to get her on four hours of ESPN a week. Every every produce every executive producer every senior producer at ESPN tell like report back to me in the next 24 hours how you're going to have Katie on your show. Right. You know, we're paying her all this money. We think she's the future of the company. We're going to be using her mostly for over the top, but we want to get her out there. But uh, tell me, tell me what your pitch is. Like she is on highly questionable. Yeah. Once in a while now. Yeah. But like, well, you know, she should be, she should be having some presence on a bunch of different. Now, if that's not the goal, again, if that's not the goal, I, I think it's, again, I say this all the time. It's about setting expectations. Why would you bring her in and just set her up to have everybody say, why isn't she doing more? What but, were they thinking? But was I, the weird part is like, I don't know that everybody's saying it. It's like, People that I talk oh, yeah. every once in a while in this one column, and nobody else, nobody in Twitter world seems particularly bothered by this. And the one thing is that if people at ESPN were saying, "How does she get that much money when we're doing rounds and rounds of layoffs and all that stuff?" That would interest me. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't hear anybody saying that. Yeah, I mean, to me anyway. Maybe they are out in the world. Yeah, and if so, that's an interesting story. Well, but probably, I don't it hear probably me. help. It probably helps to, to. I mean, the people that would that might be grousing. It probably helps, uh, you know, uh, that case a little bit. The fact that she's not actually getting all the hits. She's not She's not taking their time on TV. She's just taking yeah. some money. Robert Lytall of Black Sports Online uh, made what I thought was an interesting argument on the Richard Deitch podcast. Why don't we hear that? I found that it, you know, it was interesting seeing that now she's, you know, another show uh, that is being set up and developed by her when there's so many, I think, the representation of, of women of color uh, in media is not where it should be. And, and there are, and I'm not saying that she's not talented, but I'm saying there's a lot of talented young ladies in, 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 in media, like a Taylor Rooks or, you know, Roz Gold over at, at TNT or the Turner Networks uh, that I just don't think would be able to have the type of setbacks that she's had and still be able to pull that into a, a million dollar contract and i think we talked about i don't know about posting a, a clip from another media podcast on this it's just like <laughs> it's like 30 Sp- spider-men pointing at 30 other spider-men just like it's just a little bit a little bit strange the podcast anyway, singularity has, uh, has has begun that's great the point he makes is an interesting one and it really doesn't have anything to do with doesn't have that much to do with katie nolan right which is that you know what he's talking about is like if you if 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 women of color were to cut the same career path and do some of the things she's done on television there'd be all this, there would just be crazy controversy, right? Oh, Everybody absolutely. would go nuts. I mean, look at, look at how relatively easy she got off for, you know, after her Trump comments on uh, Davis and Mero. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff where it's like, like, yeah, she'll take some heat. 
And, but again, part of it might be that she's just not, she doesn't cut as much of a national figure as someone who's, you know, on TV every day. It's kind of hard to tell, but I agree with that point. I think that she's, in some ways, she's had it very easy. And, um, you know, and she's, there's been, she's she has her, had a sort of charmed media existence, but all that has to be tempered by the fact that, like, I mean, we're talking about her, sure, but there's not, but there, there's still not, there, we don't know what she's doing. There's no, I mean, the track record's pretty limited, right? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I don't think, I don't, I, I just, I just always assume that whatever it was going to be at ESPN just hasn't happened, you know, yeah. that, that it's still, sure. you know, d- developing. What do you think about her on the, on the over the top network though? Do you think that she'll be successful there? I don't know what successful means at this point in the terms of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like what they're trying to do, their strategy so far has been to collect tons of sporting events, right? Some boxing, there's some, there's Ivy League sports. Just a lot of stuff, right? Like, can we get all these individual constituencies to say, we want this thing, right? Mm -hmm. She's different, right? Her idea, the idea of her is, here is a show that is on this thing. Here is a personality that you like that will be on this as a reason to come in or a reason to hang around. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think that's different. But I think at this point, like, I don't know, you know, to me that the whole thing is put stuff on there that people want to watch. Right. Well, that's just it. I Prin- mean, I Prin- think that Princeton football shows- is not the same thing, you know, as or Harvard football is not the same thing. As- totally agree. And when you go to, you know, we talk about sports center a lot. We talk about talk shows sort of broadly defined a lot. But talk shows are as anchors as like and I'm using anchor too much now, but talk shows as like the hook to get you subscribed to a thing seems almost impossible. You know, if you think about like the people person sitting at a desk shows. They're actually appointment television and not just what you turn on when nothing's going on, you know, when nothing else is on TV or not something that you wouldn't substitute out for a different version of someone else sitting behind a desk if, it, if you had to pay for it. I mean, I guess you. it seems like it's it, there, there's immense talent that brings about that sort of attention, like Letterman in his prime, right? You would watch that sort of thing. Certain people were, would be drawn to that sort of thing. Sure. And then there's subject matter and talent combined, right? John Oliver now, maybe, or John Stewart during. You have to pay for John Oliver currently, right? But the question is, are you paying for John Oliver? Are you paying for Game of Thrones? And then you want, and then you get John Oliver. So that's what we're all talking about that day. I don't know. I just think that it's. I think it's a big ask for anybody for for any one character doing a a news show or any or any sort of you know YouTube whatever desk show to become the anchor for an over the top network. It's hard. All right, for a future segment. How ESPN is going to <laughs> conquer the over-the-top world. All right, David. Thanks to our producer, Jim Cunningham. Yes. For uh, wrangling us, as he always does. Back next week for more hot takes about the media. See you, David. See you later, man. Morals aside... One of the biggest barriers... <laughs> which, is, which is really the, the motto of the show. Yeah. Morals aside. I want my data back, data back, data back. I want my data back. There is... Everyone who tweeted that is a hero. All right? I don't care how many people tweeted that. That's the best thing I've ever heard.